Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metz. We have a fabulous guest tonight. One of my favorite guitar players for the last 30 years. He's got a new record out. We are having the worldwide debut of this record on the airwaves tonight. My friend David Grissom is talking to us from Austin, Texas. David has toured and recorded with John Mellencamp, Joe Ely, Storyville, the Allman Brothers Band, the Dixie Chicks, Chris Isaac, Robin Ford, the Fabulous Thunderbirds, Ringo Starr, Buddy Guy, Bob Schneider, and John Mayle, among many others. His songs have been recorded by Trisha Yearwood, Leanne Womack, John Mayle, Shannon Kerfman, and Storyville, to name just a few. Over the years, he's been featured in Guitar Player, Guitar World, Musician, and Vintage Guitar Magazine several times. We're going to be playing tracks off his new record, Trio Live 2020. And I couldn't be more delighted to have my friend David Grissom on. David, how are you tonight? I'm great, Paul. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to visit with you again. Well, and it was good to see you. you were in town about a year ago. We had you on Wall of Power TV with your good friend Greg Cock, a great show at the Hook and Ladder. So we had a chance to get caught up. We bumped into each other over the years. I think I opened up... Uh, when you played with Joe Ely at First Avenue in 86, and then we bumped into each other again in 92 at Farm Aid 5. In fact, I, I've got a nice picture of us backstage hanging out. And uh, but I and, and then I saw a phenomenal show with the Joe Ely Band at the South by Southwest at the Crest Hotel at about 2 in the morning. That, oh, uh, good, the good old days. Oh, man, that was, like, <laughs> that was like seeing the Rolling Stones, man. That was oh. such a great band. It, yeah, it was, it was, that was an unbelievable band and that was kind of at the peak of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, it, it didn't strike anyone the least bit odd that we were playing going on around two in the morning. So <laughs> it was a, definitely a different era. And that was when South by was kind of a secret. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. I mean, I remember. Underground. I, yeah. There was like maybe eight or 900 people there total. Now over the last several years, of course, it was canceled this year. There was, you know, five or ten thousand bands. For God's sakes, I know. it was not, it was really out of control. I mean, it was half a million people, yeah, from all over the world. Imagine so, uh, that. Well, David, tell us a little bit about where you came from and how you got to uh, Austin, Texas, and uh, how you started, who you started to play with, and how you ended up with the great Joey Lee, one of my favorite American musicians, songwriters, artists, and poets. Yes, me too, indeed. Um, well, I grew up in Kentucky and sort of was you know in the era where there was no um there was no internet and uh, you know in, in louisville kentucky it was not a hotbed of musical activity it was sort of catch as catch can but i was lucky to meet and um take a few lessons from some guys that turned me on to one the first guy was you know the stones and then he suggested that i work with another guy who um the first suggestion he had was get B.B. King Live at the Regal, Magic Sam Westside Soul, and the Butterfield Blues Band. Wow. Um, so that was, you know, at 15 or whatever, 16, I was uh, kind of jumped on that, into that world. And then um, later took lessons from a guy that was a, a jazz guitar player who introduced me to Wes Montgomery and Kenny Burrell. And then there was a, lot, a big, you know, kind of a bluegrass scene around there. And I got really into Doc Watson and Norman Blake. So it was just this amalgamation of all these styles that I think 
in that era when you would find something that resonated, you appreciated it uh, in a little different way than now where everything is at your fingertips. Right. And so when I found something that was really cool, I would really study it. And um, it, it was it, it, all those things kind of came together and apparently, and I, you know, I think sort of formed a, a so this hybrid thing that became my style. Um, but I, after, after I gra- graduated from high school, I went to Bloomington, Indiana and went to school for a year and then got in a band with uh, a bunch of guys who were a lot better than me. Kenny Aronoff was the drummer. Really? Yeah. I ended up, you know, reconnecting with him in Mellencamp's band, um, a few years after that, several years after that. Um, but you know, I kind of played in all the, a country band, a rock band, a jazz band up there. And, but the whole time, the last, six eight months i was there i was like noticing all this music that i really dug was coming out of austin mm-hmm. and you know i'd sort of been fascinated with texas since i got the uh, zz top trace ombres record right. and opened up the cover and saw that heaping pile of mexican food and it's like <laughs> I, you know i want to be there i want to go where you can get that yeah right but, yeah i just it, it was like i was uh listening to the Thunderbirds and Luann Barton and Joey Lee and the Leroy brothers, all these things that was all happening in Austin. So, um, I knew a woman who had moved down there and she said, come on down and check it out. I went down and spent a weekend with her and absolutely just flipped. It was just like paradise for me. And I flew back home and packed up my Honda civic and never looked back. And, um, uh, so that was in 1983, and it was uh, such a different town then. It was really a small town, and but the scene was happening, man. It was like there was the Cosmic Cowboy thing, you know, Towns Van Zant, Blaze Foley uh, were happening. You had the uh, the really vibrant punk thing, and then the blues scene was, you know, just you know kind of where that was kind of the thing that drew me down there but then the, then all these other things were just meshed together and you'd see everybody at everybody else's shows and the same idea about mixing styles was really happening here then and being naive you know i just i called the guy at the austin american statesman and i said do you know anybody that's looking for a guitar player and uh, it was ed ward who wrote oh yeah sure a good books he's really a you know, legit journalist who's extremely smart, but he's, he can be a little, I mean, like I didn't know what I was, I, I didn't know not to do that, but I did it because right. his comment was, I'm not a matchmaker, but if you're <laughs> any good, I know a woman who's looking for a guitar player. Her name's Lucinda Williams. Wow. And here's her phone number. And so I called her and, uh, got the gig. And, um, you know, two weeks later I was in a car going to the, jazz and heritage festival in new orleans with her wow and um, ended up at a hotel in the french quarter with the, the some of my people that were around the pool that were staying there it wasn't a fancy place but were richard thompson roy orbison and his band and grandmaster <laughs> flash we were all in the same hotel and uh it was like that, that's a cast of characters even, i couldn't believe my luck it, it was <laughs> the most amazing time and uh lucinda we had uh she added another guitar player really quickly, Derek O'Brien. Sure, I've and he heard was that. Like, 
I've I've heard nothing but great things about him. Oh, he's the epitome of blues guitar, uh, uh, you know, done correctly, and mm-hmm. it's such an art to uh, be knowing how to adapt and you know just to the situation whether you're playing with a harp player or two guitar players or anyway he was in the Antones house band um so he they would back up all the great i mean the you know the the the, the pinnacle of blues artists clifford would bring to in into Antones and they would just come by themselves and then the house band would back them up and Derek got me into Lou Ann Barton's band like straight away wow and so all of a sudden I can get into Antones free every, and so every night I'm at Antones and then I'm playing with Lucinda too. It was just, it was, uh, I can't even, you know, and I'd go to Barton Springs every day and it was like a dollar to get in to swim here at these beautiful Springs. Incredible. And there might've been 50 people there at the, you know, during the day. And, uh, I just played guitar, all, played guitar all day long and I played down at Antones a lot. Clifford would have Lou Ann open up for, and you know, he just slide us all a nice. I mean, like I'd make my rent in one night. He was so generous. <laughs> of course, um, back then the rent uh, it was like two hundred bucks. Yeah, right, right, right. And um, it was it was just a, a phenomenal time. And, and so I met, you know, Ely came into Antons a couple of times, and I met him to you know I knew him to say hello and his bass player at the time I had done a session with Roscoe Beck and he invited me to green hall to sit in with them. And Joe, Joe thought he was talking about David Grisman. He thought this mandolin <laughs> player was going to come out and play with him. And literally I walk up on the stage. <laughs> he, called me, he called me up and he, and, and he looked at me like, who are you? And, um, and, and I, we played must have not got a lot in and I knew it and I could, and I could, and I apparently played in like a week later, I get this phone call from Joe's brother. Uh, I mean, it like noon and it woke me up. That's, you know, those days. That, those yeah, were the days. Right, um, sure. And he just said, uh, do you have a passport? And I said, no. And he goes, well, would you like to go to Australia? I said, well, of course I would. And, and he goes, well, we're leaving in a week and, if you want to do it, you got to go get your passport photos taken. And he drove, it was back when, you know, you couldn't just expedite a passport. He had to take my photos and drive to Houston wow. to get, to get the uh, passport for me. And so a week later I was off to Australia with Joe. Ely. What a fantastic and, story. We've got David Grissom on for the whole night. One of my favorite American guitar players. We're going to be listening to four tracks, uh, off his new record, Trio Live 2020. We're going to go out with this one called Lucy G, and we'll have David Dunn uh, for the whole night tonight on the Wall of Power Radio Hour.
Welcome back to the Wall and Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. My guest on for the whole show tonight, one of my favorite guitar players in America and a man who's become a friend of mine, Mr. David Grissom. He's got a new record out called Trio Live. We just listened to a track in the first set called Lucy G. Uh, we're going to be listening to a couple of vocal tracks that David sang on in a really cool song that uh, he wrote in the third segment. But David, you know, when Austin, uh, Texas, of course, started to come online for the rest of America, we read about, uh, you know, uh, Willie Nelson down there at, uh, at the Armadillo via R- Rolling Stone. And then I can't remember exactly when Austin City Limits came on. I'm guessing maybe 78 or something like that. But it in- was definitely on in by 77, I know, because I watched a show last a taping that was done in 77. Um, uh, last night, someone sent me, and I think Roy Buchanan did one in 77, oh, well- which I was really surprised to know. I didn't realize that it was that early, but in fact, it looked totally different. I don't know if it was in the same room or not, but... Yeah, I, that was, I was surprised to see that. Well, and then uh, here in Minneapolis, I moved down in 78, but I would come down from the Iron Range to go see shows at uh, the Caboose, which was a great... Everybody passed through there over the years. I Delbert played Ma- there. Yeah, Delbert McClinton and uh, Levon Helm and, and uh, you know, Albert King, boy, you name it. Uh, just a treasure trove of a club. Um but there was a guy up here playing harmonica in a band called Ace of Straits and Shuffles by the name of Kim Wilson. So uh-huh. I saw Kim in the mid, early to mid 70s, but uh, and then all of a sudden he ends up uh, in Austin with Jimmy Vaughn with Fabulous Thunderbirds. So those in the know knew that before, even for Austin City Limits, there was something going on down there. And yeah. In Austin, I went down. Yeah. For the first time, my sister lived there in 1982. My mom and dad and I drove down there for Christmas, and uh, I was driving around town because I heard about this guitar player named Stevie Ray Vaughan. you got to go see him. It was 82 or 83. And every time I'd go to Hutz, I'd go to Antones when I was on Guadalupe, and the, and the bounces, they, they knew me because I was there for a week. They got, he, just, he just left. He just said it, and he just left. And um, But I did see an incredible show during that time. Now, it was the Christmas season, so all the students were gone, but I saw Billy Joe Shaver with Eddie Shaver on guitar at the Continental Club, and there was maybe six people there. And, uh, boy, you talk about Austin having some of the greatest guitar players in the world. Let's talk a little bit about Eddie Shaver. Yeah, Ed, Eddie was a, a, a badass and uh, a man after my own heart. You know, he would bring in a hundred watt Mesa boogie amp with a 412 cabinet and turn the cabinet around to the wall. So he wouldn't kill everybody, but still, <laughs> you know, ungodly loud. And I was playing through a hundred watt Marshall and a 412. And we, we, we definitely were, uh, had a lot of the same, uh, influences and the same aesthetic sort of leanings. Uh, we, we always had a good visit every time I saw him. And I thought that just the, that band, you know, the Fast Train to Georgia, whatever that record was, yeah. that R.S. Field produced, you know, who happens to be one of my mentors and favorite musicians and producers on the planet. That whole record, uh, that era, you know, what a great trio, uh, backing up Billy Joe, um, just truly, you know, it, it, an oft overlooked and not mentioned enough band, um, 
but yeah, six people and doesn't it doesn't surprise me. I mean, it was everywhere. Austin. You know I mean, what? It, 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 every night. And, and what I always loved about Austin, up here in Minneapolis and in the uh, early 80s, right, you had your punk scene, and then the punk scene was split up. You either liked Who's Could Do or you liked the placements. I happen to be a Who's Could Do guy. Then you had a great blues and folk scene on the West Bank. And, uh, uh, and then, of course, you had the beginnings of the Minneapolis Sound with the time and Prince and the rest. But it was so yeah. segregated, you know, not yeah. not just really racially, but musically. But you go down to Austin, you'd see Billy Joe Shaver, one of the greatest country songwriters of our time, with this just kick-ass trio playing on 11 behind him. And if you'd read the Austin Chronicle, which uh, I was just thinking about the other day, I have to uh, subscribe to that because I want to have the paper copy. But you'd see Austin accepted every kind of music. I mean, there was a reggae scene, a punk scene, a blues scene, a singer-songwriter scene. And it was always, you know, I remember one night we went to see a man who became a great friend of mine. You were talking about Roy Buchanan earlier. Well, Evan Johns was one of the masters of the Telecaster, as you well know. And I remember of course. seeing him at the Black Cat one night, which was this little club on 6th Street. I walked in, and he was playing, and you're a guitar player, so you'll love this. He was playing his telly through three Fender Champ amps stacked. Yep. <laughs> and I, yep. fell, I fell in love immediately. But I was sitting around, and I was looking at the crowd, and you had the politicians, because it was right down the street from the state house. You had the hippies, you had the punk rockers, you had the blues cats and kitties. And my buddy looked at me, and he said, the black cat, he goes, this is where the lion lays down with the lamb. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was it was the cross-pollination was, 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 was all, uh, everybody, you know, everybody was down with it. And... Uh, God, the Black Cat. I spent uh, uh, 200 nights in there, and uh, they had the tip jar, the, a bucket on a rope, and you would, <laughs> you know, from the stage, and you would, you would, you would on a pulley, and you would slide the bucket out into the crowd. And they had the guy that owned it, Paul Sessoms, had a uh, you get buckhorn beer, which was per, you know kind of the bottom of the pearl vat. <laughs> Which you know you you were not really in high cotton to begin with for a dollar they were a dollar a can and uh, God the, some of the stuff you know I can remember hanging out uh, it, behind the stage there was this kind of out, semi outdoor area where you know all kinds of stuff was going on and you know the butthole servers would be back there with a with us and the Roy brothers and uh, it was just like you know God it was just everybody supported everybody it was sort of an unspoken the big boys would be at joe Ely shows and you know club foot down there um they would they would have nrbq one week and then they would have the replacements um and then uh king sunny day would you know i mean it was just like you couldn't believe how much stuff was going on it was a holdover from the armadillo era right which i missed by one year oh man um but you know believe me it was still it was still happening well you know the thing about the black cat it was so amazing because it had just the basic minimums you needed to have a nightclub it had a beer cooler some ramshackle stage i believe there was like gymnasium you know you go to a high school gymnasium and you'd see those seats that would fold out the wood ones and then Correct me if I'm wrong, David Grissom, but it didn't have a roof in the back half of the club. Exactly. There was no roof. That's what I was talking about, <laughs> hanging out back there. You know, 
in in the two o'clock closing hour was was uh, flexible, um, <laughs> but the stage the stage was three levels, and you know there was just enough room for the front guy, you know, for me and and in another guitar player to be on the front level. But we'd have to put our amps on the second level, and the bass player would usually be on the second level, and then on the third level would be the drums. <laughs> and it was like like you say, it was like bleachers. Yeah, right, bleachers. Uh, right, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, yeah, it was like bleachers and. Uh, it was uh, uh, the good old Sixth Street. That's when Sixth Street was like, you know, be careful which alley you wander into. And now it's just like, you know, Bourbon Street shot, shot bars, jello shots. And yeah, all that. right. Uh, We've got David so. Grissom on for the whole show tonight. He's got a fabulous record. And we're making this is the worldwide debut. I'm so honored that David is uh, taking time to speak with some speak with us on the Wall of Power Radio Hour, but also the chance to uh, be the first place in the world to play this record. We're going to listen to David uh, playing and singing the old Albert King Chestnut Crosscut Saw, and we'll be back with two more sets of Mr. Grissom on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour on a groovy Saturday night. We hope everybody out there is being safe and sound and uh, enjoying uh, this time when you should be doing things like writing letters, reading books, listening to music, find some music, uh, finding some things to do outdoors, taking care of your pets, and reaching out uh, to those that are, might be by themselves, especially the elderly that... Uh, would love to hear from you. I have my friend David Grissom on for the whole show tonight, one of uh, my favorite guitar players for the last 30 years. I've heard him in a variety of uh, situations. We're listening to uh, tracks off his new record, Trio Live 2020. Now, David, you had, uh, you know, you played with some of the greatest uh, musicians in America, the Allman Brothers, Robin Ford, Chris Isaac, Ringo Starr, 
who's not from America, but we love Ringo, buddy guy. <laughs> but uh, you also did some time on some playing some big shows with Mr. John Mellencamp. Tell us how that came about. Um, I, I met John. I knew John when I was in Bloomington back uh, in the period I talked about earlier. Um, and I worked at a, I had a job at a record store there, Karma Records, and John would come in and uh, buy records. And, and that was back when you would rent videos. You know, that was a right, big deal. Right, you know, right. VH, VHS tapes or whatever. And, uh, or you had a choice between that and Betamax, I think. But <laughs> he would rent tapes. So I'm, I, I met him then. And then uh, Kenny Aronoff got the gig with him. And I knew all the guys in the band. And I guess 19... 90-ish. Uh, I get a call one day out of the blue. John decided they were all on break, but John had three, three songs he wanted to cut. And he, Larry Crane, who is, is you know one of his kind of his right hand guy, guitar player for a long time, and a great guitar player. Oh, totally uh, underrated and just a, the secret sauce to that whole thing. He was not available. He had already had another commitment. And so John was like, I don't, I'm going to get somebody else. I want to go cut these songs. And I got a call and, I, you know, you know, of course I jumped on the plane and went up and did three songs for the big daddy record. Might've been four songs. Um, and it went well. And uh, six months later or so, something went down where Larry was going to leave the band and they just, I got a call from John's manager said, do you want to be in the band? Hmm. And I was, and I said, yes, <laughs> I want to be in the band. And, uh, there was no audition or anything. I kind of, I guess passed the audition in the studio. And, um, so, uh, one of the hardest things I ever had to do was to tell Joe that I was going to go play with John. And he was like immediately, um, uh, Said, said that you absolutely have to do it. You know, there's no no question about it. It couldn't have been cooler. And um, so I went up and we started cutting a record right away whenever we wanted. And it was a real electric guitar focused album. And I did that. And we did a world tour, of, you know, for like almost a year. And then I did a record with him called Human Wheels. Um, and in the meantime, there were a couple of James McMurtry records involved in that through him. Right. Um, I, I think I ended up playing on a John Prine cut that he that he was involved with. And uh, I so I did all of 91, 92 and 93. And then I went out and did three weeks with the Allman Brothers. And wow, it's kind of like a wake up, a little bit of a wake up call. I mean, John's thing. It was an experience I wouldn't trade for anything, and the guys in the and, and women in the band were some of the finest people and musicians I'd ever worked with. But it just when I did, went out to the Almond Brothers thing, it was kind of brought me back to the whole loose impro improvising joy of music uh, thing that I remember. You know that I'd kind of gotten away from a little bit. John's thing was a little more regimented, mm -hmm. um, and so I left John's band and. Um, eventually it's kind of segued into Storyville for five years. You know, David, I was listening to something a couple months ago. I don't know where I stumbled on it, if I was just cruising through my phone listening to stuff or if I saw it on YouTube, and I heard this track, and I think it was Weapon Post, and I thought, man, this has got to be an Allman Brothers 
track that I've never heard it, like a live version that popped up somewhere. And then all of a sudden I realized it was David Grissom. <laughs> well, we, uh, we, in my band, every now and then we'll cut, we'll, we'll, you know, I've had this residency at the Saxon for almost nine years now. And so every now and then, depending on who's playing with me, we might, I, we, I, I put a live version of Jessica on my last record. And uh, so we, you know, if I have a keyboard player, we might do that song. And if I have another guitar player, we might do Elizabeth Reed or something like that. I mean, you know, I don't want to be an Almond Brothers cover band, right. but they're fun to do and then take them someplace different, which is sort of my, whenever I do a cover song and like the version of Crosscut Saw on my record is, is quite oh, different, yeah. quite different than what Albert King did. Yeah, it's not record. straight blues by any means. No, but you know, the history that that's that song is te- technically public to me. Hmm. I mean, that, that that it is morphed. Uh, I forget the first guy that was credited with it, but uh, it has morphed, you know, for seventy or eighty years now. So I like to think I'm continuing the metamorphosis of that tune. You um, know what I loved about Albert King? Not only was he, he loved that he smoked a pipe while he played, played his guitar upside down, but he also drove his own tour bus. Absolutely, that's yeah. a man. That is a I'm, man. No, uh, and Buddy Guy was the same way. Buddy Guy was always the first guy up every morning. He's like, "Where is everybody? Let's go." Mm-hmm. I mean, he could have been up to four in the morning, and he was still up at seven thirty, ready to roll. Wow, roll. real pros, man, old school, hard, yeah, hard, hard workers, man. You know, I mean, definitely old school. But I done, I you know, one of the right up there with the Allen Brothers things is I've done four records with Buddy, wow. and. Um, Two of them won Grammys, and I, you know, just uh, that's another one of those time warp things uh, that you can't believe that you know you're actually, and you know, I, I catch myself in the moment where, and almost have to like, it's outside my body, right? Yeah, uh, right. you know, like it's I'm playing guitar, you know, it's the begin, it's an intro, and in the first verse, just me, and that's Buddy singing, right? And uh, you know, that and the Allen Brothers thing and playing with Ringo too. It's like surreal. You know, one of my favorite uh, blues records of all time, I, I keep in my, I got about three copies. I keep one in my basement, my music room, one in my kitchen where I listen to a lot of music and one in my truck. And that's <clears throat> Folk Singer by Muddy Waters, which is Muddy yeah. and Buddy. And uh, I think it's about as deep a blues record as I've ever heard. Yeah, indeed. Indeed, and Buddy, Buddy did all, so much acoustic stuff. Uh, I think it was Bucko White. Uh, there was a clip that popped onto my uh, uh, Instagram feed or something. I, I follow all these blues uh, things on Instagram, but he, he did a lot of acoustic things in the '60s. You should, and, uh, if you can get a hold of him. I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago when I was listening to that record. Buddy Guy is due for an acoustic record again. Yeah, uh, he did play some acoustic. He does every now and then play acoustic. It seems like his last couple of records have really been straight 12-bar blues with a lot of covers. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's been an interesting uh, sort of a career path for him, but he's got a great producer that he really identifies with, Tom Hambridge, who's also a great drummer and songwriter. And I think they've just sort of they don't want to keep making the same record. I didn't play on the last two, but they were pretty straight 12 bar blues things. Um, I'd love to hear an acoustic record. 
Well, let's put that thought into the universe. Hey, uh, David Grissom, before we forget, how can people track down and purchase David Grissom music? Well, you can go to uh, my uh, Bandcamp or iTunes for digital downloads. Bandcamp is super artist-friendly, and you you can download high-res files if you are into that sort of thing, CD quality or even better, or just MP3s. the iTunes store, it's got, you know, all the streaming services. And then my website, my record comes out, uh, and they came out this week, obviously. And so my website has links to everything, davidgrissom.com. And uh, should, you know, the, the, the issue now, unfortunately, is that all the retail, the brick and mortar stores are closed right. and they're not taking any new products. So the uh, head of the mailroom, me, uh, has gotten together with the head of marketing me and I'm going to be mailing them out from, you know, myself they, for physical copies. But, um, again, you know, the really high quality downloads for no extra price for, for, you know, they're not, it's not more expensive to get better qualities at Bandcamp, And, uh, it's really a, a, a cool format. You know, a lot of people don't want the physical product anymore. Well, cars don't come with CD players. So. Yeah, right. Or computers. Or, or computers don't. You know, it's CD funny products. because we're in, uh, you know, I've been a, kind of a one-man operation for years. And I think we all, independent musicians, even if we have regular gigs with other people, you, you still got to do it all yourself. And now, especially these days, and... Um, I've had my own record label for years, MaximumFolk.com, and uh, I tell people, I said, I'm the president of the label, I'm the only artist on the label, and I rejected my last record. Because <laughs> that's how tough the business is. Did, 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 did you not hear a single? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. David Grissom, um, but, uh, we're going to hear a song you wrote uh, that you sing on that I really loved called uh, Never Came Easy to Me. But we've got one minute left before we play that. Must have blew your mind to be playing with Ringo Starr, one of the Beatles, for man, for God's sakes. Oh, I mean, are you kidding? My friend, the first record I ever bought with my own money was Revolver. Yeah. And I can remember the day I can remember begging my father on his way home from work to stop at buying records in downtown Louisville to buy that for me and I would pay him back and I can remember putting it on hearing tax man come through the stereo I mean uh, so yeah I was on tour with Mellencamp and got a call out of the blue or uh, Don was called Kenny Aronoff and said hey man can your guitar player do a session today and we had the day off and so I went to a studio in L.A. and we cut three tracks. I wow. think. And I just played acoustic. And Mike, Michael Landau played electric. Hutch Hutchinson was on bass. Wow. Ringo played drums while we cut. Oh man. And um, I was in a booth with the acoustic, with acoustic, and I could look right out, and he was playing the Silver Pearl Ludwig. Wow. And again, you know, is this Star Trek? Am I on the holodeck, or is this really happening? <laughs> And, uh, you know, I did, I was just trying to be cool. You know, I was just trying not to gush, trying not to, uh, I was trying to act like, you know, you know, I'm sure he gets it. I've been around the block enough to know that you might want to not be too enthusiastic here, but I I doubled apart on one song and, uh, you know, when, when it was, was done with the take, 
he came out and opened the sliding door and he just, he says, let me shake the hand of the man that just played that fabulous part. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what, what a prince. Yeah, that's, uh, that's about as, as good as it gets, David Grissom. We're going to, uh, listen to Never Came Easy to Me and be back, uh, one more set with the great David Grissom on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Nothing worth having ever came easy to me. The sweetest victories came within an inch of defeat. Yeah, I'd done a little time down on my knees Running on wheel and elbow grease Nothing worth having ever came easy to me For every ounce of pleasure I weighed a half a pound of pain Never got to the sugar without cutting down the cane Yeah, I've held tight through hurricanes just waiting on a gentle rain For every ounce of pleasure I weigh to half a pound of pain My guest for the whole show tonight, the most delightful, David Grissom, just a phenomenal guitar player. He also produces stuff, uh, just a man about town. But one of the reasons David and I have really bonded together is we're both big dog people, as is David's wife. And uh, the tune we're going to end this set with is a song called uh, Boots Likes to Boogie. Tell us about your love of dogs, David, and tell us about Boots. I'd like like to hear a little bit about Boots. <laughs> uh, boots. Well, Boots was a border collie, and uh, you know I found that all my dogs have a certain uh, uh, groove or musical vibe that they relate to. I, mean, I had a golden retriever named Katie that I, every time I would put Albert King on, he would bend the you know we would milk one of those high notes every now and then she just kind of you know you know i'm like i know girl i know i'm right there with you me too but boots boots seem to be partial to the train beat vibe and so this song this instrumental they didn't have a name 
I, we cut the track with the band, band leaves, and I'm overdubbing acoustic guitar on it in the room, and she's on the floor next to me. And by the way, every dog I've ever had is a rescue, uh, sure. which I heartily endorse. And there's two stops in the song, and uh, in the second stop, you know, it's like an abrupt uh, stop. I was at overdubbing acoustic guitar, you know, with the mic live in the room, and at the stop, she just kind of gave a little bark, and I'm like, "Oh, I got to do this. I got to. I'm going to have to do that over." And I thought about it. I was like, "No, it's perfect." Yes. And so then I have, I've got it, and then all of a sudden it's like the title, "Boots Likes to Boogie." <laughs> so uh, uh, that was the story of, of 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 that one. But you know, yeah, I mean, Steve, dogs are, you know, I, I life without dogs. I, we lost two dogs in the last year and a half oh, and man. as soon as the second one was gone the energy in the house was like it was just like walking into a vacuum right uh, but you know paul the story the writing you did when you lost your uh, previous dog was so lucky oh thank you on a, on a very deep level um so yes i do we do share that stephen bruton um said you like to like to talk about and he was the the dog person of all dog people that the reason dogs only live uh, 10 to 15 years was so we could be with more of them. I thought oh, that was that is, healthy. That is a great way of looking at it. David Boy. Grissom, go to uh, David's website, davidgrissom.com. Find him on Bandcamp. This has been such an enjoyable conversation with you, my friend. And uh, I look forward to meeting your wife and your new dog. We'll talk about your new dog, the 15-year-old uh, pit that you got, uh, the lady that died, and you guys took it over. Bless you. Yeah. And this yeah. record, David Grissom Trio Live 2020, is phenomenal. Uh, I've been such a big fan. It's an honor to call you, my friend. And best of luck with this new record. And let's uh, maybe check in the summer and uh, see what else you got going on. That sounds great. Thank you so much for having me on, Paul. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show is produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Brett Johnson. We'd like to thank our guest, David Grissom. Find out more about him and purchase some of his music at davidgrissom.com. I'm going to be doing some live shows on Facebook Live and have other opportunities, so go to paulmetza.com, track me down, and we hope everybody is safe and sound out there. Keep a positive attitude. We're going to get through it together. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. <laughs>